You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. Today's reading comes from Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 31. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, And the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of all, because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus." And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, we are so thankful for your word. What more can you say to us than you already have said? So you did not have to reveal yourself to us in it, but you have. And so, God, we pray that now in this 
short time together in this sermon that I would say nothing more than what you have already said to us, but that we might understand your word even more clearly. And we pray these things that we might behold Christ and that we might love him all the more. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. My name is Nathan. If I haven't met you, it's been a couple weeks since I've been here. Uh, we were able to spend a week a uh, week before last with Marcy's family in Florida. It was really great to be with them. We hadn't seen them in almost a year now because of COVID stuff. And so uh, it was great to be there, but really good to be back here. Uh, I'm so thankful for the last two Sundays of incredible preaching that we have had. Uh, God has just blessed us with a really, really great church. Uh, but after Sundays, after two Sundays of not being with you, I had been feeling kind of dried up without being with you. What a boring but indispensable grace God has given us to regularly be together on Sundays, uh, to confess our sin together, to sit under God's word together, and like the the embers of my soul are just crackling uh, warmly to be with you all right now. Uh, If you haven't been with us the last many weeks or months, we have been working our way, well, just for the last few weeks through the first uh, three chapters of the book of Acts. Like I mentioned in the very first week, when we opened this book together. Some Bibles and some people uh, will call this book the Acts of the Apostles, but perhaps a better name for this book would be the Acts of Jesus by His Spirit through His church. That's too long and too clunky to like type at the top of the page of this book though, but I think it's right. We're going to see that that title is absolutely what is going on here in chapter 4. The Acts of Jesus by His Spirit through His church. Last week and a very similar way to the way in which Jesus had healed a man uh, who couldn't walk. Peter and John in Acts 3 did the exact same thing, and they healed that man in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, what they didn't do, it's not like in the name of Jesus Christ. It's like if you like put uh, the, the vowels and the consonants of Jesus together, that if you just say this name, it's like a, a Harry Potter incantation or something like that. It's not some spooky spell in which they saved or healed this man. It is the name, it is the identity, the ongoing power and authority of Jesus Christ in which they then said, stand up and walk. It is Jesus who was the one doing the healing through Peter and John. This week, in very similar ways to the way in which Jesus was himself brought before the leaders of Israel, Peter and John, Jesus' people, will also be brought before them, even many of the exact same people before whom Jesus was brought. But these aren't just coincidences of some, or similarities. This early church, just like the, the church in the centuries to follow, uh, the early church in the church today isn't just like the Jesus Rotary Club. It's not a social club around which we're, we're around Jesus, which we're centering. Or it's not, it's not like the Jesus Fan Club. We aren't like Swifties or Believers or something, like wearing uh, Jesus clothes. I don't know why anyone would wear uh, any like Taylor Swift clothes. <clears throat> uh, um, certainly no one in our church would do that, but, uh, yeah, but some do. Uh, anyway, G- Jesus' people are not just those who wear his clothes, who uh, are fans of his. The church is the body of Christ. Peter John, every Christian belongs as the body to Christ, our head. We live and move and belong to his name. We belong to his power and his authority. And so in Acts 4, we're going to see 
That though Jesus ascended to heaven in Acts 1, in Acts 4, Jesus is the primary character through all of these events. His people and his opponents will primarily be talking about him, will be talking about his name, his power and authority. So we're going to think through this passage tonight in, in three sections, three perspectives on the name of Jesus, the opponents of the name, the power of the name, and the people of the name. The opponents, the power, and the people of the name. So here we go, picking right up where Kyle left off last week. Uh, Peter and John have healed the lame man in chapter 3, this likely well-known 40-ish year old man who had never walked lame from birth is now walking. And Peter then, after that, at the end of chapter 3, began preaching Christ, urging repentance to the growing crowd around him, urging them to come and to be known uh, as Jesus' people. And so then we read in verse 1 of chapter 4, as they were speaking to the people, Peter and John, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. These religious and political leaders are pretty peeved. They had thought that they had gotten rid of the Jesus movement by getting rid of Jesus. But for them, what must have felt like some sort of zombie movie, they just cannot kill their enemy. The dead are walking, and those who can't walk are walking. Jesus is alive, and these apostles are telling everyone so. This is a, a horror story for at least the Sadducees, who especially weren't, weren't very theologically serious. They didn't believe in a resurrection of the dead at all. They were mostly enjoying a comfortable place of elite leadership uh, that was given to them by the Romans. And so a revolutionary movement, certainly one that was preaching a resurrection, a movement that there was something more ultimate than life and death in that we can see and experience right now, that we can touch and feel. The here and now, the Sadducees' uh, visible political power to be experienced and submitted to was now being threatened because it was only visible. It was only here. And these apostles were preaching something beyond their power. And so they use what limited power they have immediately, the raw authority to just try to shut this movement up. They arrest Peter and John, and the next day, even then more worldly power gathers and surrounds these two guys, but not before Luke gives us some hint of where this thing is going. He tells us in verse 4 that the number of those who had come to believe was now 5,000, up from the 3,000 that we saw in Acts 2. It is growing. This isn't slowing down. And everything that's about to follow that these opponents of Jesus are about to do is like the old cartoons of like when uh, the dam or the dike begins to spray water and some cartoon character sticks a finger in and then another finger and then a toe and then another finger and then their nose. Like it is pointless. The pressure and the power is coming and it is not going to stop no matter how many fingers and toes they stick in. But back to the next day. Peter and John are brought out and they look around. They now see everyone that was there before, the night before, the captain of the guard, the, the Sadducees, but then they also see elders, scribes, the high priest, the exact same people, the exact, exact same crowd that had put Jesus through his rushed and illegal sham trial. They're now back at it again. But I mean, seriously, like, think if you are Peter and John, you might have been outside of the room in Jesus's trial. You might have heard about what was going on inside, but you certainly weren't 
the center of attention. You look around the room, you're like the American equivalent of like an alfalfa farmer from Kansas or something. Sorry, Karen. Kansas is super awesome. But, or like a, a shrimper from Louisiana or something. Some just people that the world might not think very highly of. And now you're brought to Washington, D.C., and you are put and hauled into a room with the President of the United States and the Speaker of the House and the head of the FBI and the CIA director, as well as like the presidents of several well-known religious denominations. Maybe the Pope is even there. These are all terrible analogies. But they must have been thinking as they start to like scan the room, like, whoa, he's here. And him too. Ooh, and him. It's like the scene in Hoosiers. All these small town boys go to the big state championship arena. All this fuss is for us? Like, what in the world? Only this isn't a basketball game. It is a trial for their lives. And all of these huge religious and political power brokers have but one question for them in verse 7. By what power or by what name did you do this? Did you heal this man? There's no denying that a miracle has happened. A well-known lame man who these people would have likely passed on their way to and from the temple every single day of their life is now walking around. And maybe, if you wanted to give these leaders the benefit of the doubt, maybe they're actually curious. How did this happen? But based on their reactions here and into chapter 5, though, this is more likely a veiled threat. By what name did you do this? And listen here, you imbeciles. Do not forget what we did to the person that I think that you're about to say. Don't say that name. Don't forget how that ended up for him just like two months ago. Whatever all of this is going on out there, all of that needs to stop. So listen very closely, Mr. Peter and Mr. John. Be very careful how you answer this question. By what power or by what name did you do this? We will even accept just a very simple, the God of our fathers. That will do just fine. And then we can all leave this place in peace. But now in the face of the opponents of the name, Peter responds, now secondly, in the power of the name, Peter could have said, the God of our fathers. He could have said, uh, Jesus. Yes, it was, it, was, it was by the power in the name of Jesus that this, this man was healed. But maybe, maybe he was remembering what Jesus had, himself had told these two men and the other apostles in Mark 13, where Jesus told them, be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Luke here says that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and maybe he just like looks over at John with a knowing smile, like what an opportunity. What an opportunity. No advertising or PR campaign could have ever assembled this amount of power in Israel. And now, what an opportunity to get to preach Christ 
Unlike when he cowered before a little girl around a campfire, when he denied Christ, now Peter, filled with the power of the living Spirit of God, and looks over at John, and perhaps in his best William Wallace impersonation says, well, looks like we didn't get dressed up for nothing, and it's time to go to work. He turns and just goes off, not just a timid Jesus, it was Jesus, that healed this man. No, he says, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, then let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. He condemns them. He says, you are guilty condemned for crucifying the Christ, the anointed Messiah of God, Jesus, Messiah, the man, Jesus of Nazareth, that God raised up from the dead as we all saw him standing before us. Many others in this city have seen him walking around after you crucified him, and then he ascended to glory at the right hand of God the Father. And that same man, Jesus, has raised this man this lame man from the ground, so that he also is standing before you. The healing of power in raising this man from the ground is the same power of resurrection that has raised the God-man from the ground. But Peter isn't done. He's just getting warmed up. He then quotes from Psalm 118. He says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Like in our, in our modern buildings, sometimes we'll make a, a cornerstone that's kind of like a, I don't know, looks like a, a brick or a rock that's, we like engrave some special commemoration, like the name of the architect or the name of the building or the, the year in which this building was made or something like that. But in ancient times, the cornerstone is a load-bearing stone. It had to not only be strong, but it needed to be very usable. It needed to probably be pretty flat. If, like, if you ever stacked a, a big stack of chairs, if you ever stacked a stack of chairs and one, one gets a little bit crooked in there, then the whole stack of chairs begins to lean and perhaps even tip over. You could, if you didn't have a super flat cornerstone on which to then build the rest of the building around this building, you could always put a little bit of mortar to flatten things out on top. But ancient builders would start with this load-bearing stone and then build up around it. And then if things started to go bad, they would take apart what they had begun to build with and then discard this cornerstone. Find a better one. I don't trust this stone to bear the weight of this building, so I'll reject this one and try another. Peter, quoting this from this verse in Psalm 118, actually takes a little bit of liberty. And he adds a word from what the psalmist says in Psalm 118. In Psalm 118, the psalmist is considering what the world thinks to be important, what the world thinks is powerful and significant. He considers a suffering servant that the opponents of God despise and persecute. And he says in Psalm 118 that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. What the world thinks is weak, what the world thinks is unimportant, what the world thinks is unusable is actually the stone on which God will build his dwelling place on earth. Now, Peter, quoting from that verse, adds a word. He says, this Jesus 
is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. You, supposing yourself to be the leaders of God's people, appointed and delegated by God, you are actually showing yourselves to be the opponents of God. You are the opponents of God, discarding what you thought was weak, what you thought was unimportant, what you thought was unusable. The wandering rabbi from the country sticks, Jesus of Nazareth, you rejected him. But it is through him, just as the psalm says, that God will build his dwelling place on earth. He is the load-bearing stone on which all of human history is being built now. But there's not just blanket condemnation coming from Peter here. There's not just blanket condemnation in Jesus' coming. There is salvation. Peter says, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now there's no doubt that what Peter has just said would have sounded just as provocative, just as exclusionary, just as perhaps even maddening to these original hearers as it might be heard and received today to modern ears. Peter just said that there is no other name, there is no other power to save in Caiaphas, the high priest, or in Pilate, or not even in Caesar, or in David even, or in Moses. But the power to save comes from one man only. It is in Jesus, the name and the authority of Jesus. And again, not saying his name in some like magical incantation way, but in this specific person. This person has the power and the authority to heal and to save. Just as the same as today. Not in Buddha. Not in some other prophet out there. Not in ourselves. Not in some political candidate. There is no power to save other than in the name of Christ. And implied here, there's no other name to save or even to forgive the sin. Forgive the sin of the most horrible sin in all of human history, that of condemning and executing the Son of God. As Jesus himself even prayed, as he was being crucified, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They are not realizing that I am the cornerstone on which you desire to build your church your temple on earth. And so this is not, what Peter is saying, is not some arrogant or hateful or intolerant message of condemnation, but it is a gracious and warm, inviting message of salvation. As we've considered before, the worldview of the world, when it hears a verse like this, is, wait, what? Wait, what? There's only one way to access, with, or only one way of access to God, but but the worldview of the Bible is, wait, what? There's a way of access to God? This is astounding. Unbelievable that God has made a way to himself. Yes, in the power and the name of Jesus who has lived in right relationship to God for you and who has died in your place that you might know the forgiveness of your sins. Yes, he has come and he has lived, and he has died, that you might find salvation in his name. 
This is explosive, dynamite-type stuff. And in fact, the word power that has appeared in this chapter is the word from which we get our word dynamite. Dunamis, power. There is power in the name and the authority of Jesus. And it is this kind of power that the religious leaders are then just astonished by. These country bumpkins are coming in and just like Jesus did, preaching with power and with authority. Who are they? They haven't learned under the respected rabbis. They have not graduated from the right seminaries. They did not go to any Ivy League schools. Like Jesus, through Jesus, they preach with authority and power. In fact, verse 13, we read just that. The leaders recognize that they had been with Jesus. Why? Why why would Luke give us that little note? Well, it's not that Peter and John just knew some facts about Jesus. They are like him. Like, I could could read a, a, a Wikipedia article about some other country and give you some interesting facts about that country, about that culture, about those people. But I wouldn't know that country. Bring somebody from that country here and ask him, what, what is your country like? What are your people like? What is your culture like? And he will tell you. She will tell you because that country is in them. They are that culture and that people. Peter and John haven't read the Wikipedia article about Jesus of Nazareth. They aren't even just endorsing him as their political or religious candidate. They aren't out here like trying to drum up support for Jesus, trying to make sure that people show up and vote for him on election day. No, like Paul in Galatians 2, they might say something like, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Or like what we sang earlier, yet not I, but through Christ in me. They had been with Jesus. It's like the resurrected power of Jesus is just like running around Jerusalem, like this powerful wild horse and all of his people are just running on and jumping on bareback and just hanging on for dear life. It is not their power that they are out here preaching, but they are preaching and bringing attraction to the one on which they are riding, being taken here and there, proclaiming and demonstrating his power. And the leaders hate it. They form a committee They form a committee to see what they can do to stop the spread. But not only is it too late for that, but in telling Peter and John to stop preaching in this wild, dynamite, Mustang-type power, Peter and John then reply in verses 19 and 20, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Now we'll talk more uh, in two weeks about this kind of civil disobedience, of understanding of when we must obey God and not men. We'll think more about that in the second half of chapter 5, when the opposition really begins to get hotter and hotter. But for now, what is really remarkable about this passage is that for all of Israel's history, if you wanted to hear from God, if you wanted to understand His Word, if you wanted to understand His will— If you wanted to know what it meant to live in obedience before God, these are the men that you would go to. All of the men that are putting Peter and John on trial, these elders and priests, 
The rulers of the people, they mediated between you and God. And then these Louisiana shrimpers come in. And they say, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They have heard from God directly. They have heard from the great high priest. They did need a mediator to hear from God, but they have had that mediator. God has now circumvented. He has gone around those who are seeking their own power in their own name, who are using religious and political power for themselves rather than promoting the kingdom of God, rather than promoting the glory of God. And so these bumpkins come in and say, we have heard from God. We know what we must do and say. We do not need to hear from you. And yet, realizing, these religious leaders, realizing that they are basically doing not much more than like trying to back a door closed as like a hurricane is blowing in through the living room, they let them go. The power of the saving name of Jesus cannot be minimized, cannot be ignored, cannot be contained. It must go out, and it does, even further shaping and transforming his people. Now third, the people of the name, of the name of Christ. The city around the leaders, now now 5,000 strong, are praising God for what has happened in the healing of this man. The, The leaders release Peter and John, and then everyone begins praising God, remembering Psalm 2, that this is the way it's essentially always been. That the enemies of God, the enemies of his anointed king, have always set themselves in opposition. But in Psalm 2, remember when we thought through that psalm uh, a few months ago, in Psalm 2, God just sits in the heavens and laughs, laughs at the nations raging against him. Like the small created world trying their best to overthrow the power of God, the the love of God, like God sitting in the heavens and just laughing. You got to be kidding me. What What are you doing? It is the sovereign plan of God to redeem his people, to build them in faith, and to love them relentlessly. Like, you serious, world? This is what you're going to do? You're trying to stop that? And so if all that's true, then they pray in verses 29 and 30, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Here's the thing, everyone. I think in like 25 years, it's going to be really tempting to look back on 2020 as like the year of COVID. We'll all remember it. 2020 was the year of COVID. And on top of that, it was the year of the presidential election. It was the year of protests and justice. It was the year of all kinds of plotting and of raging. And amongst so much suffering, so much turmoil, so much uncertainty and doubt and anxiety and loss, it is tempting. It is tempting for us to think, how can, how can Jesus, how can we as his church still fit into 2020, into the year of COVID. But I assure you, 
2020 is not the year of COVID. 2020 is the year of Jesus. Every year is. He is the sovereign ruler and king of the here and now. And as much as it doesn't look like it, the reality is, how is COVID, how is this election season, how is all of this unrest now still going to fit into Jesus's year, into Jesus's kingdom? I get it. Like, so many of you are so frustrated right now. Some of you are feeling really weak. Many of you are doubting. Some of you are despairing, struggling in physical pain, struggling in loneliness, struggling for faith at all. And so I'm, I'm comforted by something that I, I read from one pastor, uh, maybe a week or two ago, that COVID life is perseverance amid heightened chaos, pressures, and demands with a lower capacity for productivity and a foggier view of fruitfulness while maintaining an embrace of limits and tempered expectations. It is a walk of faith or bust. And I'm really comforted by that. Like productivity is weird right now. The world is foggy. It is walk by faith or bust in 2020. I'm encouraged by that. But I'm also equally encouraged, maybe more encouraged and re-energized by what I heard from a different Anglican pastor just this last week, that the church is not some 12-foot sailboat just out there being blown and tossed by the waves. The church is the Queen Mary, this huge, enormous steamship. We aren't just hoping to hang on for dear life, hoping that we make it in the end. No, plowing ahead with the power of the triune God, with the saving truth of the gospel of Christ, steady and steadfast, the church is not thrown by the waves, but makes them. We do not fear viruses. We, not, we do not fear crippled economies. We do not fear politicians. We do not fear the results of any election. Many of you might have greater fears on which side might be worse. Nonetheless, the church plows ahead because it is the power of the name that sends us forward. It's more than likely you and I will not end up in front of kings or governors or councils. Maybe. More likely. What opportunities, what people has the Lord put in your life that you ought to be moving toward in love, in boldness, in power, Seriously, I think like 30 times a day, 40 times a day. Sometimes, depending on your job or your circumstances, perhaps 100 times a day, you are encountering people and perhaps we can retrain our minds to be asking of the Lord, what is, what is God asking of me in this encounter? Some who need to hear the power of the saving name of Christ. Some who are already trusting in the saving name of Christ need to be reminded what is God asking of me in this encounter? If the power of Jesus is working in the world through his people and the spirit of Christ is now working in and through me, what is God asking of me in this encounter? Certainly in, the, in like the random chance encounters that we have many dozens of times a day, but even in the planned opportunities that we might need to be even more assertive in with strategic use of our time. 
We still have, I think last I checked, four or five more teachers at Eugene Field Elementary with whom we could begin slowly building relationships of love and of gospel clarity and of power in. We might hear more about that again after this service, just encouraging teachers to love their students well and that we are thankful for them. This is the exact kind of understanding that these early disciples were living in, were praying for. These kinds of opportunities, opportunities that they might have with people that they might be able to speak the name of Christ. This is what they pray in verse 31. When they had prayed, what happens? The place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. As we thought about next two, when the Spirit descends and people are preaching in tongues, it is not so that they have this explosive dynamite experience for themselves. It's not necessarily that their emotions might be stirred by God, though certainly that was happening. The Spirit of God comes and trembles his people that they might speak, that they might be witnesses to the power of Christ, that they might go out with wave-making power, not theirs, but the power of God. 2020 is a walk by faith or bust. It just is. But hang on, hang in there, guys. It, it is who you are hanging on to that matters. It is this wild Mustang-like power. I just realized that I probably got that image in my head just thinking about like Lucy and Susan in the, in the line in the witch in the wardrobe holding on bareback to the power of the, of the mane of Aslan, just bounding through in power. This is who we hang on to. Not our way of making power, but the power of Christ. It's a walk of faith by but, or bust, but it is the power of Christ by which we walk. Let's pray that that might be even more true for us this week. Oh Jesus, we, we do trust and believe that you are still alive, that you have come to life, trampling death by death, that you have brought to life your people now through your life, that you are reigning over this cosmos at the right hand of the Father, and we will walk by faith, sometimes in weakness, oftentimes in weakness, but that in our weakness, that the power of Christ might rest on us. We pray that we might know your grace, that we might know uh, your comfort and your nearness, but that you would re-energize us anew to not tremble, to not cower, to not just want to make it through this year or through this season, but that we might be viewing this season as an opportunity to be witnesses to your name. Give us opportunities. Give us, give us uh, the boldness and the wherewithal to see opportunities when you do give them to us. Help us to be creative and to uh, uh, think and pray for more opportunities. Help us, we pray. We are tempted in fear, and Lord, we want to believe, but help our unbelief, we pray. All these things in Christ's name, amen. hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.